You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, Buzz Broadway listeners. As you may know, the United States is currently experiencing a nationwide revitalization of the Black Lives Matter movement, and we here at Buzz Broadway have been called to anti-racism work. For the foreseeable future, we will be highlighting organizations and charities committed to combating systemic racism towards Black, Indigenous, people of color in the United States. This week, Buzzed Broadway is pleased to highlight the Black Voters Matter Fund. As a social welfare organization, Black Voters Matter is dedicated to expanding Black voter engagement and increasing progressive power. Their goals range from increasing voter registration and turnout, advocating to expand voter rights and accessibility, and developing organizational infrastructure in communities where little to none exists. Effective voting allows a community to determine its own destiny. At blackvotersmatterfund.org, you can join the project to become an advocate for civic engagement. You'll support organizing work and electoral campaigns related to upsetting the systemic racism in our nation's government. You can also donate monetarily at blackvotersmatterfund.org slash donate or visit the link in our Instagram bio. Thank you, and on with the show. Welcome to the Buzz Broadway Podcast. I'm Amanda Harrington. And I'm Sam St. Jean. Each week, with the help of cast albums, film adaptations, and our own memories, we reminisce and relive some of our favorite Broadway musicals. Come listen to two besties booze their way down the great white way on, on Buzz, Buzz Broadway. Broadway. When you're lost and alone and you feel like you need a little lift. When the times are tough and your day has gone adrift. You can always press play on Buzzed Broadway. We've got the laughs. Or when you're blue. Buzzed Broadway. Just pour a drink. I need your shoe. So just press play today. Alright, Miss Minnelli, you're on in five, four... I think I was supposed to say three still. I fucked up. Welcome back to Buzz Broadway. Buzz Broadway. Who's Miss? Like like Liza? Yeah. Is that from something? No, she's just like... Okay. Just like a star. Okay, yes. There's a joke in an episode of Friends where Joe <laughs> puts on a fur coat and he's Chandler says, you're on in five, Miss Minnelli. And I thought that was funny. So I, thought I don't think we have... I think now at episode... What is this? Episode seven? Sure. I think it's still up at episode seven. We have somehow not yet mentioned your absolute obsession with friends. I don't want anybody in our audience to like kind of, if they don't know me, because every Friends fan 
thinks they're the biggest Friends fan. I will t- I will tell you all that it's Amanda. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but you guys are all wrong. <laughs> I'll say it for you. It's Amanda. Amanda is the Friends fan. <laughs> She's the only Friends fan. Um, have Do you know anything about the Friends musical? Like the unauthorized Friends musical? I don't. It's I feel Broadway. like you probably wouldn't like... It was off-Broadway, you're correct. I think it was off-off. I didn't even know which it was Which is something off-off. we... Yeah, we talked about it a little bit in... Uh, an episode. Oh, Our was, listeners will know. It probably... came out before this one. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> anyway, Amanda, let's talk about what musical we're chatting about this week. Which is it? Great question. Um, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Only the Woo! longest, the longest title ever. Ten words. When I did this in high school, they announced it. They like gave us a hint by telling us that it was a musical with a with a title that had ten words in it. That's, that's what cool. that's what our music teacher said. He was like, "Well, it has ten words in it," and I was like, "Okay." And then I was like, "The twenty fifth annual Putnam <laughs> County Spelling Bee." No, uh, cats. No, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Like you really don't have many other options. Joseph you really and don't. the Technicolor Dream Coat. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it is a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Sondheim's first Broadway musical. His well, his first musical lyrics written by. Right, like the whole thing, like his first musical. I see what you meant. It is yeah. his. It's it also is, it? Bert and Larry's, though, so let's not get crazy. I guess you're right. Um, before, well, you ready to... Oh, go for it. Before we begin, tell us, Susan, what you're drinking. I am drinking. Uh, it's, it is a Negroni. It's a very, very big Negroni. It's like a mason jar size Negroni. You had a mason Much jar like drink the... last week. I did, much like the Paloma I was drinking last week. Uh, this is a ne- giant Negroni. I, like, am usually doing something right up until before Amanda and I are about to record, so I don't have a chance to, like, pregame before every episode, so I have to just make a giant drink so that I can drink it fast and try to get a little bit buzzed. And then he um, chugs it while I talk about the composers. Exactly, exactly. So I topped, this is, a, like, a, a doubled Negroni, but I topped it off with a little bit of soda water just to try to give it a little bit of excitement. Carbonation. Ooh. Very exciting. Um, I'm drinking. How about you? Um, I'm drinking my favorite beverage, a truly lemonade hard seltzer. Wow. It's mango lemonade. Now, is that like a, is that like a polar, uh, a polar lemonade seltzer where it's lemon flavored seltzer with the thing? Or is it like half lemonade, half seltzer? I did not come prepared for this question. I did research. That's okay. On no, I just have else. a problem. I have a problem with lemonade seltzers because I feel like what a lot of companies do is they just make a lemon seltzer base, which is not lemonade. Like a lemonade seltzer should be half lemonade, half seltzer, like a lemonade iced tea. Like an I see Palmer. what you mean. I don't really want to sit down and pick apart uh, mass marketed alcoholic beverages. It's um, mostly filtered carbonated water. Gotcha. Does it taste like tangy and sour like a lemonade would, or does yeah. it taste like seltzer? Yeah, it just has that fizz, but it tastes more lemonade-y. Okay, okay. I can get behind that. I have not tried them yet. You should. They're really good. I'm currently Truly, doing... if you're listening, we would love to have an ad. Oh my D- god. DM us, or email us at buzzbroadwaypodcast at gmail.com. Send me new flavors if you need to <laughs> try them out. I um, was going to say... Um, and I'm going to say this on the podcast so that I stick to it. I'm doing Whole30 right now. Woo! So this is all I have in the house, and I'm only allowing myself to drink when we record. Because you're technically not supposed to have alcohol. 
but, but I mean, we're you're the mogul of this podcast. That's what am I? Around getting, getting what am I supposed beverages. to do? <laughs> I think this is the longest we've gone in an episode without diving into the musical. I honestly think that's great. Great, good. We need a I, second for everyone to get acclimated for them to like re-enter our world because we're such nutballs. Yeah, I think it's great when co-hosts like start their podcast with like, "How are you doing?" I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. It's like day 60-something of quarantine. We're still here. It's still alive. It's more than day 60. Day 60-something. Maybe for you. I got home on the 15th of May, so I guess it's like today. Of March? Did I say May? <laughs> yeah, so it is like today. I wish, I wish I hadn't got home. No. I got home on the 15th of March, so yeah, it's been like exactly two months today. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. I think I started quarantining that week. I, yeah, yeah. Well, can you think about this? So if this is our seventh episode of a recording, that means that we have created the concept of the podcast, essentially, done all of this, now we're recording episode seven, all within the span of this quarantine. Let's fact check that before we keep talking about how the fact that it's episode seven, because I feel like somehow it's not. It is. Amazing. No, it is. Oh, we're so good. We are so good. And we've only, we're have only we only just releasing episode three now, so... Right. You know, if you're listening to this episode four weeks... Or five weeks ago, is what we're recording five weeks out. That's pretty, that's pretty great. That is great. I'm pretty proud of us. If you're proud of us, send us a Venmo. <laughs> um, we... <laughs> send us a donation at uh, anchor.fm slash buzzbroadway. Not that Anchor isn't paying us well. With that dollar eighty. But did you know, actually, did you know that you can make a monthly donation to the Buzz Broadway podcast, anchor.fm slash buzzbroadway, you can set up a monthly subscription to keep us going. Shut up! Or a one-time donation, if you want to just make a one-time. We'd prefer a monthly, but if, if one month is all should you can do, a send us a few bucks. Should I go apply for... Um, <laughs> I'd rather be a for-profit. You you make just as much money in non <laughs> I can tell you. I am an arts administration master's degree person i don't really get how all that works but i think it's time for us to get down to business no it's taking me forever to think of what is the form that you fill out to become a nonprofit. a 1099 a 501c a 501c3 i got it that was really bad 1040 easy uh sam rock 101 (laughs) fm FM, new hampshire (laughs) um a plot on uh not what? I was trying to... Oh, the synopsis. You want me to get into the play? Into the play? Yes. Let's do it. Let's hop right into it. I thought you were like, trying to make a reference to the opening number. I was like, I don't think they say plot anywhere in there. Um, can we start this comedy tonight? I'm going to try to make like puns. Here we go. There's a good one. I, I like that one. Here we go. This is straight from MTI. So Woo! go there and read along with us from, from home. <laughs> All right, let's get right into it. Broadway's greatest farce is light, fast-paced, witty, irreverent, and one of the funniest musicals ever written. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum takes comedy back to its roots, combining situations from time-tested 2,000-year-old comedies of Roman playwright Plautus with the infectious energy of classic vaudeville. Forum is a non-stop laugh fest in which Pseudolus, a crafty slave, struggles to win the hand of a beautiful but slow-witted courtesan named Philia for his young master Hero in exchange for freedom. The plot twists and turns with cases of mistaken identity, slamming doors, and a showgirl or two. That is a very humble description. I don't know why the word humble's coming to mind, but it it just really doesn't it doesn't sell it enough for me. Like 
I think it's because a comedy specifically, but also this show in particular, when you really boil it down, it is really just about that. It's about Pseudalus trying to get Philia so that Hero can have him, so that Pseudalus can be free. But the beautiful thing about a comedy is that it takes the story, which is so simple, and literally, like, throws, like, shoves a syringe into it (laughs) and injects it with so much other other stuff stuff to make it funny. You know what I mean? It, it's like the epi, like the comedy epipen has to like stab itself into the the plot line so that it can expand and like fill the story what with all the ridiculous hijinks. Interesting way of looking at it. Thank you. So, um, just so everyone knows, um, Sam did do this in high school, but before I got there, so I was not in it. You, were you in the ensemble? I was in the ensemble. I was one of six proteans. Classic. And um, we participated in it together in college. I assistant That's music correct. directed it, and Sam played Pseudalus. I did. It was the like kind of um, swan song of my college days. Yeah. It was the last musical that I did. It was my my send off from the university, which was pretty humbling to have this show to go out on mm. as a senior in college. You were okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Just trying to keep me humble. <laughs> Of course, of course. Um, so, I did not... Do you want to tell me a little bit about, uh, about good old Steve? Yeah. This is our second Sondheim musical we're talking about. Yeah, since it's our second Sondheim musical we're talking about, I have nothing to say that is new information. Okay. <laughs> I, okay. I was really trying to find interviews of him talking specifically about Forum, but because it's just, like, not his most popular, I can't really find anything. Everything is about... Company into the woods, even merrily, like they're much more yeah prominent shows than this one because Sweeney it was Todd. his first. Yeah, so there's not much about this, but instead I did some research about Plautus. Amazing! Tell me more about him. Plautus was a Roman playwright. He lived from 254 through 184 BC. Do you know how long ago that is? Uh, like 2,000 years, right? It's more than that. I don't know how many. I was hoping you could do math that quick. Nope. (laughs) Anyways, his comedies are the earliest Latin literary works to have survived in their entirety. So, he did a lot of, um, or he did all comedies, I think. He wrote around 130 plays, and 20 have survived. And in case you were not aware, this musical was based on his stuff, but the three most prominent ones, one was called, one of his plays was called Pseudalus, which this is the basic plot of. One was called Miles Gloriosus, mm-hmm. and I can't, I can't remember the third one. Neither can I. Just but the it's two. Fine. <laughs> it's fine. Because those were the names I remembered. <laughs> I don't know the guys. Anyways, that's a little bit about him, in case you were wondering. Yeah, I did actually, I did a little bit of research on Plautus too. Um, and it's funny to see, like, obviously the the gene- like the generic plot is pretty similar. And a lot of the same themes c- come into play between the two shows. Yeah. Uh, Clever Slave, who is Pseudalus. The objectification of women and love crossing boundaries were, were themes from the original piece that carried all the way through to the 60s when, when Steve decided to write this show. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I always, I don't know why I forget that this is his first Broadway musical. Obviously, he had done Gypsy. He had been a lyricist on a couple other projects. Yeah. But this was his first, he had done Gypsy, he had done West Side, but this was his first, like, this is, you know. It was his know, baby. Exactly. And I, 
I think it's, I find it to be wildly underrated. A hundred percent. Oh, it is. It's so funny. And there are, I mean, it's, it's so hardcore classic comedy. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people that is a put off. I feel like, I don't know, in 2020 people want comedy to be a little bit more thought provoking, but this does not need to be. And I'll talk a little bit more about it later, but this was a time that I, I, people always talk about the golden age of Broadway and, and, you know, the forties to the sixties and the sixties in particular, people talk about a lot. And we know so many musicals that came out of the sixties, but when you really, I'll talk about it later, like I said, but when you really look at year by year, all the shows that were, were premiering in New York, Mm -hmm. it's wild to think about. Like you could be a New York resident and every year see this show that was going to become like a staple of staples. When did the golden age end? Uh, the, like, early, the, the, the early 70s, late 60s. That's The, like, classic golden age of Broadway is, like, 20, 20 to 25 years. Okay. Like, rock musicals starting in, like, the, the 60s, coming from, like, mm. Greece and, and whatnot. Like, the Greece kind of hair era was the things that started to take Broadway away from the golden age and bring it into, like, now we have rock musicals. Jesus Christ Superstar. And- so, early 70s, late 60s. Yeah. Um, okay, so just, like, a very short tidbit about the librettists, Bert Shivlov and Larry Gelbert. I was listening to other podcasts and listening to myself pronounce some of these names, and it just sounds so bad. Um, so, Bert Shivlov, librettist, he was the director of the 1972 revival, um, which is cool. And for that, he was nominated for Best Director. He had a pretty mellow career. Uh, Gelber, on the other hand, he helped create the show MASH. Can you believe it? Do you get where the comedy comes from now? Right? MASH is funny. Also, he wrote the screenplay for the Tootsie film. We love that movie. We were just talking about Tootsie. Yeah. So, I thought that was pretty funny. I actually just watched it last Uh, night because I had never seen it. And I watched it last night. So, that's funny. Full circle moment. I feel like I'm going to watch it soon. It's on Netflix. And then... Oh, good to know. Good to know. Um, also, uh, Gelbert was really against the movie because most of the libretto was largely rewritten for the film. So, correct. That's what I learned about them. I don't know. Which I feel like seventy five percent of the time you have to do for a movie. I feel like there are very mm-hmm. few books that trans, very few musical theater books that transfer to a film setting. Well, and also, yeah, they may have changed some of the words in the script. But they also cut out half of Sondheim's songs. Right. So. What's the difference? Right. So jumping back to that original production, the creators had actually attempted to get comedy star Phil Silvers to play Pseudolus. He was the first choice. Phil Silvers is best known for the Phil Silvers show where he played Sergeant Bilko. It's a very classic comedy character from the 50s. Um, Wasn't he in it? <laughs> he was later. I'll get to that. In the revival. okay. okay. In the revival. Um, so, so they originally tried to get Silvers to do the role. He's a huge star from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. He decided to turn it down, allegedly, because he would have to perform the role without his glasses, and he had very, very bad eyesight, and he was paranoid about falling Stop. into the pit. He couldn't wear contacts? I don't think contacts contact existed in the 60s. No! <laughs> I'm... I know we're, we usually aren't supposed to look things up. But Do some quick beta research to figure out when the, uh, yeah, when the, uh, 
when the contact was invented. So another theory says that Silvers turned down the role because the role was written very similarly to his character from the Phil Silver show, Sergeant Bilko. I'm interested to see. I actually haven't. I didn't go back and look at clips of the Phil Silver show, but I want to go back and check it out just to see maybe how much they base, like if they thought they were going to get Phil Silvers to do the show and they like wrote the character around him. Oh, yeah, that'd be interesting exactly. to see. Vaudevillian Milton Berle was also approached for the role. He's also a star of television in the 50s. He was also being considered for the part, and eventually the creatives landed on Zero Mostel. And I feel like this is such a classic mm. Zero Mostel role now. I can't imagine anyone else doing it. I think of Zero, and I oh, think of yeah. I think of uh, Tevya, obviously. I think of Pseudalus, and I think of Max Bialystok. Well, for those keeping score, uh, contact lenses were invented in 1887. I don't believe that. Oh, okay. Well, it's just, you know, Wikipedia <laughs> I checked. That was a very reliable resource. Okay, tell me more. I'm sorry. So eventually, after all the casting and tribulations, they did have a pre-Broadway tryout, but a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, opened at the Alvin Theater on May 8th, 1962, which is now the Neil Simon Theater. It transferred... Alvin and the Chipmunks Theater. <laughs> Please leave. Got it. I'd like to uninvite you from the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to so... do this all the time. Uh, the production transferred to the Mark Hellinger, which was a popular theater at the time for, for good selling shows. The show did do very well on Broadway in its two years, yeah. that it, in the two years that it ran. It eventually wound up at the Majestic Theater, where it closed on August 29th, 1964, after a total of 964 performances. That's before both of my parents were born. <clears throat> before my parents were born, too. That's so long ago. Yep. Why do you hate me? <laughs> Broadway's been around since the late nineteenth, the late nineteenth century. So okay, but Sondheim is still kicking. I know he just turned ninety. Knock on wood, please, everybody. We just everybody had a big. Listening. We just had a big birthday party for him all over YouTube. We were you invited? The musical theater community. Hello. <laughs> it's like I don't remember <laughs> you performing. So at the seventeenth annual Tony Awards, do I have that year right? Yes, that's correct. Forum received eight Tony nominations and went home with six awards. It was some of the heavy hitters. They went home with Best Musical, yeah. Best Leading Actor in a Musical for Zero Mostel, Best Direction for our good old pal Hal Prince, who directed the show. Now, something that's interesting that I did not know until I was researching categories for the Tonys this year, Best Producer also used to be a category, which I find interesting. strange. Yeah, Best Producer. Best so now, Money Giver. Now... <laughs> Now, like a movie, the producer of the musical accepts the award. Yeah. Just like it is at, like, the Oscars. The the producer goes up and makes a big speech. Best producer? How can you be the best producer? I don't know. I guess it just based, it's, it just depends on how much money your show makes or something. I don't know. That's wild. So, fast forward a few years, and Forum actually gets a revival not long after its initial production in 1972, starring Phil Silvers, who was the okay. original choice for the role. He gets his Stephanie J. Block moment, for those of you at home who know what that means. Do you I know, don't what, that know means? what that means? Wicked no. was written for Stephanie J. Block, but she couldn't do it when it opened, so Adina Menzel what? did it. And then, yeah. Stephanie J. Block did all of the, like, tryouts and all of the, like, workshops Why couldn't for she do it? Uh, I don't know. I don't think Pirate Queen is at the same time. Maybe it was. I should I wow. should know. I'm I'm upset that, that I don't know why, but she went that's... on to play Alphabet after. Right? Oh, absolutely. She opened the Chicago production, I think. And did that for like okay. a year or something. But okay. she she did obviously do it for a while afterwards. Anyway, Phil Silvers gets his Stephanie J. Block moment. 
The 72 revival has edits already from Sondheim. There's already numbers that get cut, new numbers that get put in. There was a song called The Echo Song, another song called Farewell, which uh, Domina sings when she leaves for the country. I want to talk about this later, but he does such an amazing job at, like, re-evaluating his work every time he goes back to it. Sondheim made those edits? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Unfortunately, this 72 revival had to close after 156 performances because Silver suffered a stroke during the run of the show. I don't believe it was during a performance or anything, but he had a stroke and was not able to maintain doing the role. So he had to, they had to close pretty soon after they, I mean, 156 performances is not a bad run. He played Pseudolus? Yeah, that's correct. At this time? Yes. Oh my gosh. I know. I can't imagine doing that and like carrying that show and not being able to go back to it. So fast forward a couple decades and we get to the bread and butter of Forum, the 1996 Jerry Zach's revival starring my idol, my everything, Nathan Lane as Pseudolus. My everything? (laughs) Choreography by Rob Marshall, Jerry Zach's, like I said, at the helm of the production. Nathan Lane wins his first Tony Award for Best Leading Actor and all is right in the world. Um... I was going to say, I wrote about this. I watched Nathan Lane's uh, Tony acceptance speeches, and they played the music so early when they he got They really this award. did. They really did. Like, he had more to say. He deserves did better. You, Nathan Lane always deserves his better. Tony, have you watched his Tony speech when he wins for producers? Yes. It's so cute. He brings Matthew Broderick up. Oh, he I does, because so he was hosting that year, or maybe he hosted the 96 year. They both were backstage, and I was wondering why. I think they had just performed, which is why they were okay. backstage at the 2001 Tonys, or the 2002 Tonys, whatever year that was. He was backstage for Forum, too. He was. I think he hosted in 96, because that was around the same time as the Birdcage. So he was a pretty big a pretty big deal. And Lion King came was, out that year, too, right? I was thinking, uh, Lion King came out in 94. So he was, but regardless, he was a big star, so I think he hosted in 96. Doing research on the show and talking so much about um, Nathan Lane is making me want to go back and watch The Birdcage, like, right after I have this. watched it during quarantine probably four times, and I have watched it a lot other than that, but there's just something about this time that makes me crave that style of comedy, and he is it's just so, so brilliant in that movie. And brilliant, honestly, in everything. I have a way, I don't want to disclose how or why, please don't come after me if you're listening to this, but I have a way, I have a, I have a copy of the National Theater's production of Angels in America, and if you think that Nathan Lane is talented, you and you haven't seen that production, you need to see that as well, because just like every really, really strong comedian, he can also deliver drama in an unbelievable manner. His performance in Angels in America, mm. his performance in uh, Love, Valor, Compassion, he's just an incredibly talented actor i can't sing his praises enough for obvious reasons i've i've aimed my entire career at trying to be him so yeah <laughs> um before you move on in your revival talk i also forgot to mention speaking of nathan lane in the birdcage and you probably already know this but in the scene between robin williams and uh christine bransky mm-hmm. is that how you say the name yes bransky um yeah they sing love is in the air they do which was the original yeah, which was the original opening song for Forum. They do. Sondheim wrote a lot of the music for the movie. In the scene where Nathan is... Is that the rehearsal? Well, no, it was... That was the original opening number. It was, but he also, wrote, he also wrote music for the movie. Oh, I Sondheim see. Also, he Sondheim did? did? Yes. So the scene um, 
in two, there's two scenes. The very first time you see Starina at the club when she comes down the staircase, mm-hmm. she sings a little tidbit of a song. Sondheim wrote that. And then there's a song in the rehearsal that Starina has with the chorus boy when he's chewing the gum. And yeah. Sondheim wrote that song as well. I don't remember how it goes. Um, we we could do an episode on the birdcage. Uh, we uh, I wish that that was allowed. If you're listening, if you're listening, and you think it's okay if we do an episode on the birdcage, tell me. Why can't we? Because we're called Buzz Broadway, and that would be like buzzed cinema. Um, maybe in our future when we're extremely famous, uh. people will need they'll want something different. Like we were thinking about talking about like La La Land. We or... were. Yep, because you were like, I can't wait to talk about it because I hated it and I loved it. You despised it. I don't love La La Land. I thought it was one of the greatest movies. I don't love La La Land. I think it's brilliant. Anyways, please tell me more about 1996. It was just a fantastic production. Nathan Lane won his Tony Award. (laughs) The production overall did not do very well. There were a lot of reviews that really kind of threw everything but Nathan Lane under the bus and really kind of tore it apart with the exception of Nathan Lane, which is interesting because he's the whole show. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah. I wonder how they didn't like the entire production, even though Nathan Lane is the entire production. Right. Anyway. You know what I did not love? What did you not love? When Whoopi Goldberg took his place. <laughs> tell me as Tell me more about why you did not love that. Did Have you seen videos? I have. I just think it's so boring. It is... Definitely a case of stunt casting. Whoopi obviously is a hilarious person. Yeah. But I don't think that this is her style of comedy. It is. No, this is more slapstick. Absolutely. Like, yeah. That's Whoopi I mean. almost invented her own style of comedy. So mm-hmm. I feel like to try to jump into something that is so classic. I feel like somebody like David Allen Greer, who did wind up replacing Whoopi, is a great choice. I feel like this is very much in his wheelhouse. Hmm. To be okay. able to do something like this, but I don't know who that is. So, Alan Greer. I can't think of. Oh, the police. This is like not his best work, but the police officer in Jumanji. <laughs> I don't remember off the that's top him. of my head, but that's good him. to know. I can't think of another way you okay. would know him, but that's him. Do you have any more about productions? Or I don't. That was the only other Broadway revival. That's there was an all male production that happened with Christopher Fitzgerald as Pseudolus. And they were kind of trying to recreate the idea of, like, ancient Roman theater where all the characters would be played by men. So they had all the... The entire cast was men. Hmm. It's an interesting concept. I think so. Especially when you're talking about, like, the objectification of women as a concept. I, like I think it's funny to have men try to tell that story. But also, like, fuck men. Fuck men. <laughs> um, so, right off the bat, I just have to say, I went back. Went back. I've never watched it. I, I watched most of the film from 1966. I don't know. It's not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> have you seen it? I have. Do you like it? It's not my favorite, but it does what it needs to do. This show is so inherently theatrical for me that I struggle with finding a way. Like, there's almost... I feel like there are a lot of musicals in the last 40 to 50 years that could be considered very cinematic. I don't find this to be one. I find this to be... It, it relies so heavily on kind of two-dimensional slapstick comedy that I feel like it would have been a better film 
almost like the producers where it's like a straight film with no music. I think this story serves itself better if it's like just a movie, not a musical. And I think trying to make, trying to do a musical and a slapstick comedy at the, I I don't know. Something about it doesn't totally do it for me, but I do appreciate the kind of classic movie musical vibe that it has. It reminded me when I started watching it, I was like, I'm watching a Monty Python movie. It, it does have a little bit of those vibes. Similar feel. I think it's number one because of the time era, whatever it's in. Like Monty Python is mm-hmm. also old, but <laughs> but I yeah. I got through about half. <laughs> That's okay. And then I was like, I don't really feel like what. Just like how I started doing research on Plautus, I read like three sentences, and I was like, I could not be more bored. So, uh, I really love listening to the '96 recording. Yeah, I wish it was on much... Apple Music. It's not on Apple Music. It is all Whisper on YouTube, so I did listen to it all on uh, It is on YouTube. I listen to it too, but... It is. I, I wish... do wish it was on a streaming... I do wish it was available to stream, because I would listen to it nonstop. <laughs> like I said, I just find it much more interesting and entertaining to listen to because of Sondheim's updated orchestrations. The courtesans yeah. all have brand new music. There is added orchestration in almost every number, or like backup. There's like added harmonies from the ensemble during Lovely that are beautiful, beautifully written. I just enjoy listening to that version more because I feel that it's more polished and more fully fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I didn't really come up with musical moments because I didn't listen as much to the 96 one. I listened mostly to the original. Sure. Which, there's not, like, Sondheim barely wrote any harmonies in there. He didn't. No, it's very basic. Yeah. So overall, um, I think re-experiencing it, I feel like the 96 revival recording is the best kind of go if you're looking to like re-experience this show without seeing a production of it. I would then say the movie, watch the movie, and then I would say listen to the original cast recording, but that's just yeah, me. Work if you're a huge what? Work backwards. Work backwards, absolutely. If you, if you're a huge Zero Mostel fan, then obviously listen to the music, listen to the OBC or the watch the movie. I do have a couple potpourri for once. I feel like I haven't had any potpourri in a couple weeks. Okay. I so like I said, I want to take a few minutes to talk about the 17th Annual Tony Awards. because I keep thinking you're going to say 17th Annual Putnam County, Putnam County Spelling Bee. It does I'm sound like I'm going to, and then I don't. At the 17th. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I do want to talk about the Tony Awards this year because, like I was saying, the 60s is such a prime time for theater. 
And I was scanning through all the nominees from this year. And this is the same year that Virginia Woolf and Oliver opened. Hmm. Oliver obviously had transferred from the West End. They had brought the production from London to New York. Yeah. But those two productions opened the same year. And there are just so many stacked, like, performers in the performance categories this year and the directing categories. Yep. You have Uta Hagen as Martha in Virginia Woolf, Alan Arkin, Lionel Bart for Oliver, Vivian Lee was on Broadway this year, Sid Caesar. And I was looking at the 18th and 19th Tony Awards too, and I was seeing like Hello Dolly being nominated. There are just so many unbelievably perfect Golden Age musicals that came hmm. out of the 60s. Yeah. And it was just so much, it was so cool to look back and see that this show has a piece of that. And I think because there are so many other huge shows, if Forum had opened, I think, in any other theater season, in any other era of theater, it would have done exponentially better than it did. Obviously, it did well, but you have to think about, like, if that if this show had opened three years later, what does it look like now? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It That happened, like, uh, the, the, the Hamilton year, 2016. You had Waitress, uh, Something Rotten, yeah. Bright Bright Star, Hamilton. There was a fifth one in there that I can't remember. It's not Dear Evan Hansen. Was that the next year? That was, <laughs> that was year. Uh, 2018. Oh, it was later than I thought. I think it was 2018. Um, but you have to think, like, if any of those shows or if any of the shows from the 60s had opened in a different year, what does their fate look like? Does it get better? Does it get worse? Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, we were just talking about Hamilton, and I just remembered that it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Are you so excited? I'm so excited. I think a lot of people will be very stoked. Yeah. It's because the only opportunity people will have to see Hamilton in their life. For a, a lot of people. Yeah. With, like, maybe actual good camel work. Camel work. I'm out. I mean, it's pro, it's pro shot, so it's going to be pretty, it's pretty be, beautiful. It's going to be better than the bootlegs we've been finding on YouTube. <laughs> what bootlegs? What are you talking about? The other really quick thing I want to mention is during the out-of-town tryouts for the show, it was not being very well received. It was not getting good audiences. And they actually brought Jerome Robbins in Mm -hmm. to assist with the staging of the show, which is why Jerome Robbins' name is also always associated with this show, even though he was completely uncredited for his work. Oh, okay. There was a separate choreographer, but Jerome came in to help with the show. And he actually was the one that scrapped Love is in the Air Mm. and and helped Sondheim write comedy tonight which now is the most iconic number in the entire show yep and that's what i have to say about potpourri for this week okay um i like i said did i say this yeah i didn't really find any musical moments just because i love like the meat and harmony of sondheim and this just you know it wasn't there yet so exactly you get it in his you get it in his melody lines or in some of his or like underscoring like uh some of the underscoring for the songs, you get kind of that disjointed yeah. Sondheim sound, but it's definitely not as as prevalent as it is in his later work. Did you find the musical moments in the show that you want to talk about? I do have a few, and I think it's only because I I spent so long like working on the show that I have ones that I really love. My first is "And Now the Entire Company" during a comedy tonight. Mm, I do love that. I just, the way that it was staged when I did it, the stage was bare and I said, and now the entire company and then the the orchestra swells and the entire company fills the stage. And it was just a really, it was a very good way to get myself started because this Mm. show is a marathon for Pseudalist. I don't want to just talk about myself. No. But it is an absolute, I think I had a, I think we timed it during one of our dress rehearsals and I think I have 
like six and a half minutes off stage for the entire show. I think it's wow. like during, it's that very first scene, and then it's in Act Two. He has a break during. Uh, yeah, it just the way we staged it. I did not have a lot of time. Maybe it was a little bit more than that. Maybe it was like twelve minutes, but twelve minutes in a two hour and forty minute yeah. musical. This is a long show. Um, I know yours was marathon, but like it still was not as hard as my role playing keys too. Whatever you're going to say. I'm... <laughs> I only played the bass line. And you don't have favorite musical moments? What are some of your favorite bass lines in the show? Mila's Gloriosis. There was the uh, really jazzy Marcus Lycus one too that I don't remember. Do 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 bling. Doom, 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 bling. That's it. That's it. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah. That was it. That was me on the keyboard. So I have that as my first and now the entire company. My second is the third verse of Pretty Little Picture, but specifically from the 96 production because Sondheim wrote some extra counter melodies and harmonies in for Philia and Piro because that song is normally only, it was originally written to be only Pseudolus. Oh. And he wrote in some counter melody for Hero and Philia, which is beautiful and really fun and playful. And then finally, there's just something about the beginning, like the A section of That'll Show Him. That really gets me. I don't know what it is. It's just something about the way that the underscore kind of moves up the scale. That really gets me excited for that song. Yeah. I don't know why. I feel. Those are my three. Do you have any, are there any of those that you, that you agree with the most? Did I nominate my Amelia's Gloriosa's baseline? (laughs) You did not. Do you want to nominate your Amelia's Gloriosa's baseline? No. Um, I think, okay, now everybody, or the whole company I think that too. I think it starts off a show. <laughs> what? Are That's you... company, is what you just said. <laughs> okay, yeah. now everybody. I can hear side by side na, in my na, head na, too. Na. It's a very similar. It's a very similar thing. <laughs> that song. Honestly, um, now the whole company or whatever it is. I think you're right. It starts the show off on a right foot. It's like an applause moment. Like the audience is like, "Oh my god!" I agree. Yes, we're already at a kick line. Look at that. Look at that huge cast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I would, I would give that the prize. Amazing. I have a few, uh, production numbers as well. One of my production numbers is actually the overture. I know that's weird. That's not weird. But that's one of my favorite, like full. I I know, but it's not, it's not a production number because it's instrumental. I I actually conducted the overture. I conducted the overture in college and I did it dressed as our conductor and I didn't, I thought it was going to be a really dumb joke. I was on board with it because I love dumb humor, Yay. but I thought it was going to be a really dumb joke. And then after the first performance, people said that it was their favorite part of the show because they thought it was Emily. They had Emily's no idea. Conductor. They really, I had like this really not great brown curly wig that looked like hers and I had glasses and you could never really see me. And I wore a choir robe too, which I thought was silly. Yeah. Well, you had to cover your costume with something. Right. But people really thought it was her. And then after the overture was over, she came up and like ripped my wig off. And that's when people, that's when it was revealed that it was actually me and not her. But people really didn't know, which I did not think was, I did not think we were going to be able to sell that joke. And we really, we did. Well, and you conducted with like a fish and stuff, right? Like weird stuff. Exactly. I kept, I kept losing the, the the gag was that I kept losing the baton. Like the baton would fly out of my hand. So I would grab, I think the first time I grabbed another baton, but then after I lost the baton, it was like a rubber chicken, a fish. 
I see. Like, it, it just got, in, it got increasingly humorous, the objects that I had to grab. I, and I love an overture like that. That involves... A funny overture, a funny exactly. funny overture, it are, yeah, it just already has something. Because also, exactly, at this day and age, on. people are rude and they don't know how to sit through an orchestrated number. So You're exactly people correct. talk through all of overtures now. But if something so simple like that right. is happening, they might sit and listen. Exactly. Do you, um, have you ever seen Spamalot? Of course! A production of Spamalot? Yeah, I saw it so when I was a kid. So there's, they, they have a humorous overture as well, where they, you know, they're trying to tune the flutes and the conductor shoots one of the flout or the trumpet player or something. Yeah. There's a, that they also incorporated like a co- comedic overture. And I think this show lends itself to that. I don't think it needs it, but I do agree with what you're saying in terms of being able to entertain the audience from the start of the show. Oh, yeah. I just think it gets them in the right mindset. Absolutely. My second is comedy tonight. I think it's a perfect way to start the show. It's, it's become the most iconic number from this musical and my third is my underdog. It's everybody ought to have a maid. I find this kind of increasing increment quartet trio thing to be such a classic trope of musical theater. And I think this is the this is the number that really reminds you that you're watching an old fashioned musical. They've you know this yes. type of number has been spoofed again and again. It's very kind of Carol Burnett, um, very variety show esque. Uh, they spoofed it in Adam's Family. The idea that you know the the Characters leave the stage and re-enter with one more character each time to do the number. Uh, it's very vaudeville, and I, I get a big kick out it's of it. It's so simply hilarious. Such Absolutely. a simple little piece of comedy that makes the <laughs> audience die. I love that. Well, yes. I have yes. two of the same. My uh, Great. Two, what are they? Two are comedy tonight. That's one of them. And everybody ought to have a maid. Oh my gosh. Were they really? Yeah. Amazing. My third is not a production number. It is a song, I think. Um, I'm Calm. I I love I'm Calm so much. When I graduated college, one of my first jobs teaching voice lessons, I gave it to one of my students because it was such a good piece for him coming into his voice and getting into the acting kind of thing. So I think that song just has a special place in my heart. And it's also just so funny. All right. Getting into it quickly before we take a break here. Who is, who are your Edwina Spoonapple nominees this week? Um, I only have two. I could not think of a third one. So number one, Nathan Lane, because okay. he's Nathan Lane <laughs> and he, he just is, oh, I just hit my microphone. He just is <laughs> number two, Sam St. Jean. That, no way. That's so funny that you say that because my nominees are Nathan Lane and me. You're fucking kidding. <laughs> I am not, not. I nominated myself. No, I did. There are two roles that I have done professionally. And this is technically not a professional role, but it was right before I graduated from college. So I like to count it. But there are two roles that I've done sp- like at, since since Forum up till now that I really feel strongly about my my my. my work in yeah and it's this show and and a, another show that i did and so shamelessly yeah of course i said me all right well then you have to know that when we get to company i am nominating myself <laughs> for playing kathy <laughs> because bobby i can't marry you i'm 14 i think i was my best 12 years ago i would have to agree yeah i've just really gone downhill <laughs> all right well so let's... like you said i think we just have to agree that it's nathan lane who wins right yeah, I mean, like, you come a close second. 
you know, my goal is that I do this role on Broadway when I'm 40, because Nathan Lane was 40 when he did it, and he... I always get down on myself for, like, not being more ahead in my career, and then I remember that Nathan Lane didn't win his first Tony until he was 40, and I... Yeah. I find solace in that, because I've got uh, 13 years to go. I think your goal should be to, be to get so good that you win an Edwina Spoon Apple Acting Award. Maybe. Someday, in, yeah, in 13 years when a... Uh, when a a dumb, a dumb duo like us is doing a podcast. Maybe one day I'll win their award. That'd be great. All <laughs> right, let's take a break so Mama can open another drink. Amazing. I have to chug the rest of mine. All right, let's. You want to? You want to tell us that? You wanna, let's take us into our next segment, Miss Harrington. Do you have some honorable mentions for this show? For who wins the show? I do. It is actually Hysterium. Whoever plays Hysterium. Ooh, okay. He sets Pseudolus up so many times for so many jokes. And he is like the unsung hero. I don't mean here like hero is in character. I mean the actor is the unsung (laughs) hero. Whoever plays... The actor who plays Hysterium is the unsung hero of the entire production because he does almost as much work as Pseudolus does and he doesn't get as much of the yes. recognition. So I feel like Hysterium deserves a lot more credit um, in the show. The show is really the two of them. Hero has a lot to do. You know, Miles has a lot to do. Philia. But... His, not like them. Not like Hysterium does. Hysteria... I mean, and I mean, it's it's far less than what Pseudolus has. Right. But he still helps... He sets Pseudolus up for almost every joke. So... I think for me, the honorable mention is any actor who plays Hysterium. I love Hysterium. How about you? My honorable mentions are the Proteans, specifically from the 96 revival. Absolutely. They're freaking gymnasts. They just roll on stage and like took my breath away right away. It was just so good. When you have only three, we had six Proteans both times I did the show. And when you, when you get down to the that original three. I know why schools do six. A, because it, it allows for more students to be in the show. And it just eliminates problems that you face when you only have three of them because there are so many quick changes and it calls for such a yeah. strenuous job from those three actors. But there's a reason that it was three originally and it's because it's funny. Yeah, I think when they're done right, they're done so well. I just think that's such a fun, fun part to play. Could not agree more. Who wins it for you, Sammy? I it, I feel like everyone knows what's coming. It's got to be Pseudolus. He carries the show. He's on stage for so much of the show. Mm-hmm. The show is Pseudolus's story. The original play was called Pseudolus. But here is really why I think Pseudolus wins the show. Because historically, Pseudolus has always won the show. Every actor who has opened the show on Broadway as Pseudolus has won a Tony for it. Zero Mostel... Phil Silvers and Nathan Lane have all won Tonys for their portrayals. It's the only three productions of the show that have been on Broadway. And that, that like urban legend goes even as far as when Jason Alexander was in Jerome Robbins Broadway, he did an excerpt from forum and won a Tony for that. Stop. So I'm just saying, I'm going to turn 40 in. Wow. 20, 20, 30, 2033. And I'm ready for the 2033 revival of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. It'll be set in space. Ooh, that would make no <laughs> sense. Cool. I'll come Thank 
thank you, thank you. You'll be there. You'll be my opening night. Oh, you mean set in space, like actually physically there? I thought you meant the setting of the show was in space. No, 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 no. That's what I meant. I was like, I'm pretty sure it takes place in like Greece. It's Rome. But (laughs) Greece, Italy, whatever. It's the future. No, it's because the the joke is going to be in the future. Everything is Rome. There was a typo okay. in a PDF because in the future everything's Chrome. Oh, okay. Do you get that? Anyway, joke? I do, but it's a dumb. It's funny. a dumb. I think it's hysterical, and I'm gonna win the Tony for it. So, who wins the show <laughs> for you, Miss Harrington? You've done this one before, but the audience. Oh, it's I a just, great one. I think, I so, backing up, I was once told by a director. When I was in high school, um, or maybe middle school, every audience member is stupid. Like, you have to expect that they have no brain cells, they're stupid, they're gonna believe whatever you do, and there's nothing better than laughing. Like, the audience comes to laugh. And I just love that about the show, it keeps them laughing the entire time. You are not bored once. I love that. I, I think that the audience is... I will tell you right now, the audience is always a viable choice for the who wins the show segment. Yeah, unless we do... I couldn't think of a show. <laughs> Medea. When does the audience lose? Medea. <laughs> Cats. Starlight Express. Romeo and Juliet. Oh, please. I love Romeo it's and Juliet. Like, it's overrated. We do all know the ending, so I, I guess that's... Spoiler alert! Show me some more Lady Macbeth. <laughs> you know? Let's right, get into... Um, oh, please, take us. I'm going to take us to space. I'm not. All right. <laughs> um, personal experiences. You have more than me. I do. I do. I did this show twice. <laughs> to be honest, I don't have many memories of the first time I did it. I have a few. I remember we, we... Like, somebody made... We did the... The courtesans were to the original, not not the original, to the 96 orchestrations. I do remember that. And I mm. loved that. I was dressed as a bride at one point. Because, like, in the in Comedy Tonight, we, like, told the story of the show, like, beginning to end yeah. in high school. And so I was, like, I was philia, like, slash hysterium at one point. So I was dressed, as a, I was dressed as a bride. I also played a eunuch. Okay. Uh, for Marcus Lycus. Well, we had a female Marcus Lycus. Okay. And. That works. I don't remember much else, because to be honest, I was not really on stage that much. Cool. But that's really that. Those are the memories from my first production. I remember it was summertime, and it was hot, and I was in the ensemble, which I really was not happy about. Um, I really wanted to play Hysterium. My canteen had sprung a leak. And I was. And I was. Thirsty. You just said it, it was, was hot. hot. My canteen had sprung a leak and I was <laughs> thirsty. Diet Coke. And then Anyways. secondly, I did the show in college. I remember. So like, here's the, here's the cut and dry of it. When you're a senior in college, there's always a couple students who, when the show, when the, when the next season of shows get announced, I should say when you're a junior and you're going into your senior year, when the shows get announced, there are always a couple of students who, like, know that. Know what? Who know they're that they're going to, who know that there is a show that is, like, I don't think, I do not think that the professors at my college sat down and said, oh, 
let's pick a show for Sam. But I do think they said, we have people here who can do these parts. Yeah. Because a college has to do that to make sure they can actually produce a show. A high school has to do that, too. I mean, I don't think it stopped our college when we did other... Anyway, I won't get into that. But, um... (laughs) But I remember them... I was sitting next to my really good friend, Laura, and they announced Forum. And I grabbed her hand and I said, I'm going to play Pseudalus. And there was just no other option for me. I just rehearsed all, I rehearsed the music all summer. I, I was like, I need to go mm-hmm. to, I need to go to the audition for this already knowing the show before I even auditioned. So I remember prepping all summer and listening to it all summer because that had worked for me the year prior. I really wanted to, to do a certain part. Anyway, the auditions weren't until that winter because this show was the second semester. So I just like prepped and prepped and prepped. And I went to the audition and I had to audition for the musical and for the play. And I went into the audition for the musical with a Nathan Lane song. I think it was maybe the producers. It might have been like King of Broadway or something. Perfect. And then, wait, weren't you at the auditions? Yeah. I sat in auditions. Is that what I sang? You, You think I remember what you sang? Maybe I didn't sing King of Broadway. I might have sang free. I might have just been like, I'm going to sing from the show because I want this part. I don't remember. Oh, and the other audition criteria is that we had to tell the director a funny story. Yep. And I told the director, I went on this giant, giant tangent, and I basically just described the entire plot to the movie Titanic. That's right! But I kept it hidden that it was the story of the Titanic. I was like, I went on this cruise and I met this guy. I was like, and then the ship hit this big foreign object in the ocean and we started and I just basically I kept it off to the very last minute that I was describing the plot of Titanic and then I very quickly revealed that it was just the plot of the Titanic and then the director laughed a lot I remember him thinking that was very funny that's clever did you think of that yourself I did you're good because he said surprise me that was the thing he said tell me a funny story that will surprise me that's perfect and that's that's what I came up with and then for the play audition because the the professor who was directing the play was also the head of our whole theater department for that audition, because I didn't want to be in the play and I wanted to be in forum. I did a Nathan Lane monologue from the producers. (laughs) And I remember finishing, I remember finishing the monologue and he said, that is a very clever choice. And that's all he said. And I knew that he was saying like, good for you for finding a way to tell me you won't accept a part in this show. Yeah. Even though you still have to audition for it. Wow, I was always, I've always been, in, and I, I was in college very clever, and I got feedback from a professor once that said, don't rely on being clever, which I kind of understand and, and still kind of don't understand all at the same time. Interesting. Yeah. So I did the role. I had, like, we had spring break off right before we started rehearsals. Or no, we had the winter break Yeah, because we so did I the came show in, pretty early in March. We came back, we came back early. Yes, that's right. We came back, like, a week early, and or maybe, like, a couple days early and started yeah. rehearsals. This was the first time in my acting career that I came into a process off book because I said I knew Pseudolus has so many lines and so many songs and the show is so reliant on what you develop in rehearsal. I just yeah. knew that I had to get in the room without a book in my hand. I needed you to be needed able to, to touch other people yes. and hold props. I was going to say, you needed to be free of the script to be in Pseudolus's body. Exactly. Yeah. And I every time since then that I have gone into a process off book, I, it has like changed the end product for me. That's awesome. And obviously it's like standard now. Like it's a pretty common thing, especially when you're doing a role like this. But it's it's become pretty 
common to be off book before you come into the room, but this was the show where it really, it really served me well to be, to be free from the, the script. Free. I have a couple silly stories, but I want to get into what you remember from the, from the rehearsal process. Um, I was the assistant music director and this was really the show that like made me realize my love for musical theater directing. I remember mm. talking, it was this semester I talked to the head of our department and asked him about musical theater conducting master's degrees throughout the country. <clears throat> um, and was that Paul? Yeah. Or Dan? Paul. I wanted specifically, like, my end goal is to conduct a show on Broadway. Like, mm. that's what, how I went into it. So, and Paul had good connections and he got me in touch with people. Um, I obviously didn't go through with it, but that's what started, like, my passion for that. And I still think there's a piece of me in there that loves it. But then I did research, and you need to be, like, really good at piano. Extremely good. It's not like being, a like, an orchestral conductor. Because so many Broadway conductors are also playing, like, Keys 2 or Keys 3. Yeah. While they're conducting an entire show. And realistically, I would have loved to be the music director and then the conductor. You know what I mean? Right. Or an associate music director. Yes. Exactly. So... I remember, but anyways, so that's what I love about that. It was my first experience in a pit I'd never played before. So originally, I was on Keys 2. That was my part they assigned me. And then I don't know what happened. Was it Keys? No, 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 no. I was originally playing the Violin 2, maybe? Violin 2, that was it. And I don't know if I sucked or if our music director just... And it was a great idea. She said I, an oboe player could play it and it would sound much better with the violin one than with the sound of a keyboard. I'm like, you're right. But also I sucked and I think they just felt bad for me. And so <laughs> they were like, we need to give her something so she doesn't get kicked out of the pit. So they gave me keys too, but we're really, we're like, just play the bass line. And did you? Yeah, I did because the actual bass player sucked. Amazing. So your girl here kept the tempo. How many people were in the pit for this show? How many people did pit. we have in the orchestra? Was yes. it? I mean, for us. For uh, an, What are we talking, like 9, 12? I would say 12 to 15. Wow. Yeah. I never knew, even though I was down there before every show. You sure? I still have no recollection. You would like crawl <laughs> over people. I did. I started the show in the pit, conducting, and then in like a... Four in like a five bar interlude, I had to run under the stage and they made a shortcut for me through a trap door so that I could reappear through the middle of the curtain. So I'd have to climb up a ladder and then stand on stage and wait to go through the curtain. And then later I would, in the middle of the show, I would have to come through the trap door. Should we talk about your voice? I think it's time. <laughs> I think it's time to talk about when the ghost of Elaine Stritch decided to... Possess my body. Yeah. <laughs> so we at our college usually did five show weekends. Sometimes they would do a six show. Sometimes we would do two weekends. But this was a five show weekend. So we opened on a Thursday, ran Thursday, Friday, two show Saturday, one show Sunday, and then we were closed. So I did the Friday show. I did, I did the Thursday show. I did the Friday night show. I was feeling great, feeling on top of the world. I woke up Saturday and didn't really feel anything out of the ordinary. And I went to warm up and I was like, oh, my voice just feels a little creaky today. Just like a, almost like a, when you have a, a little bit of joint pain, like that's, it just felt like, oh, okay, my body's just at this point today. And I got out on stage and I started the show and I got into the middle of comedy tonight. 
and my voice went from normal, like strong actor, singer voice. And I can't really describe the feeling, but it almost felt like somebody had like wrapped my vocal folds in like yarn. It just felt like my entire vocal, like my voice, I know a voice box isn't like a real thing, but it felt like somebody had wrapped my voice box, like from top to bottom in yarn. My my throat didn't hurt. My throat didn't hurt. I didn't feel sick. I just, in the middle of the show, lost my voice. Not even the middle of the show. It was the middle of the opening number. It was literally like someone reached into your neck. (laughs) And like pulled my larynx out. Yeah. (laughs) All of a sudden, I, I remember that so vividly. freaked out in the middle of the number. I, like, didn't know what to do. At, like, any chance I get, I'm, like, trying to make eyes of the conductor. To f- and she was also my voice teacher at the time. Mm. So she just kept, like, trying to pantomime to me, like, calm down, breathe. And I got off stage for, like, the very... F- I have, like... Pseudolus has, like, a little four-minute break during Love I Hear at, like, the very top of the show. Yeah. And I ran off stage. And I think you came... I think you left the pit. Yeah, I think so. During the show. Yeah. I think I think she sent you upstairs, because she also knew that we were very, very good friends. Yeah. She sent you upstairs during the show to come get a message to figure out what's going on. The stage management is coming to me, trying to figure out what's going on. I say, like, I don't know. Just, like, make sure there's water for me on each side of the stage. So they got my water bottle. They got everything they could and made sure that, like, there were lozenges and water on both sides of the stage for me wow. at all times. And you brought the message back down to the pit for me. And I just can't Everyone play quieter. <laughs> Is that what you said? I think that's what we did. Yeah, you had to. The stage management, stage management just said, like, we'll crank your mic as much as we can. It was Zach. I think Zach Glennon stage <laughs> managed the show. He did a good job. He was great. Um, but, yeah, it was like nothing I've ever experienced in my entire life to completely just have my voice completely taken from me in the middle of the show. I could still phonate, but I can't, I can't even recreate it for you because it was such a bizarre sound. It was like hoarseness, but also like weird, like almost like when you, when you have a lot of phlegm surrounding your vocal cords and you hear that like frogginess. So it was like raspy. I'm trying to remember. So could you sing like all of your notes, like even the high notes? No. No, I okay. could get them out like this. Like, that's what it sounded like for the whole show. Yeah. It was like I was like some trucker smoker from Indiana. How you could project so there was all boggles my mind. I don't know. I think, I think the only way that... So anyway, I got through that show. And I went home and I, I did not speak a single word. And I had another show that night. And I knew... So the, that, that matinee was like absolute hell for me because I just could not like reason with the fact that this is what I was being given. And then something happened before the night show. I think actually our director sent me a Facebook message and he just sent me this video of him saying, I know that what you're going through is tough. It's happened to me before. I know you're strong. He just gave me like a pep talk via Facebook messenger. And I got out on stage and I just said like, Pseudolus has all the power in the story. He has like all of the, authority over the audience to do whatever he wants so yeah. i i never i never like announced it to the audience that i was struggling with vocal issues but they figured it out pretty quickly and then there was this like unspoken understanding and there was a there was one bit that i did i drank water on stage at one point somebody I brought you me a glass jokes. of water 
I worked, I somehow worked in a joke about my voice and there was one, somebody brought me, we worked it into the staging for Saturday and Sunday that somebody brought me a glass of water on stage during a song because it was like A, funny and B, I needed it. Because yeah. it was like one of the stints of time where I didn't leave the stage for like 45 minutes. Yeah. So we did work it in and I would like look out at the audience and be like, it's for the voice. And they thought that was funny. But I made the best with what I had. I actually had a, a Patti LuPone moment that has become somewhat infamous at our university. Oh, yes. <laughs> right at the very end of the opening number, there's at the, at the Act 1 finale, rather, there's this big swell in the music, and then it all comes to a halt, and then Pseudalus has a line, and then there's, like, a button, and the, there's a blackout. And right in the, dead, in the deadpan silence, right before the button of the song... <laughs> There was a digital camera beep and a flash. And I a fr- digital camera. It was 2015. <laughs> and someone's saying pictures on a digital camera. I came out of my frozen pose and looked out at the audience and everyone started to chuckle because they knew that I had heard the camera. And I saw the woman in like the fifth row and I just said, please put that camera away. And the audience cheered. And then I said my line and then button blackout instantly and the curtain came down and everyone on stage turned to me and they like started laughing it was just a great way to I was given a lot of like accidental gifts in those last two shows because yeah I think of what was happening to my voice the universe was like here's some comedy gifts for you you kind of just you were so accepting of what was happening and you just laid into it and it brought out so much more character thank you I think it's because of how frightening that matinee was and how disorienting. I cannot imagine. Well, what's funny is that it it actually, something similar happened to me at Tech for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Like, Mm -hmm. it was during our cue to cue and I was wearing this, like, I, I, as, as Augustus, I have to wear this big fat suit and there was something about the way that the fat suit felt like, similar to my forum costume for some reason because I had, like, a tank top on underneath and I don't know, like, it had this weird, like, PTSD? it had this yeah weird like muscle memory that my body was like oh god it's happening again and I woke up the next day and was fine but it was like a weird PTSD wow. moment that I had it was very strange um this is another quick little thing that never actually happened but I don't think you ever knew at one point in the discussion of the show because <laughs> I would meet with the director for like a like a week or so before we actually started rehearsals we had mm-hmm. coffee and he said that at one point <laughs> it was going to happen that I was going to fly during free for no reason other than it would that it would be funny he wanted to strap like strap me up in a harness and just send me into the sky like mary martin like swinging back and forth for no like no reason it never wound up happening but that was just a funny little thing that he wanted to happen that i thought would have been hysterical if if pseudolus just flies in the middle of free for no reason I think we need to give a true shout out to Fran Page. Yes. He has done so much good for both of our lives. I agree. That right there is just such a Fran moment. Oh, I love I agree him with, with you. my whole heart. He's very funny. Um, any other any other personal memories for, from you? No. Amazing. <laughs> this I know that I talked a lot about doing the show, but it's because this role has so much to offer an actor. I think you discover yeah. so much about what is funny and what it makes you a funny person by doing this role. So I apologize for rambling, but it really is a very, this role holds a very special place in my, my heart. And I'm very lucky to have done it. And I'm very optimistic about the next time that I'm able to do this show. And whenever we're able to do theater again, I feel like we're going to get like that when we get to like, I'll feel that way when we get to the wedding singer, because 
Linda was just... (laughs) Well, I do want to say the other other quick thing I wanted to say, and this actually segues really nicely into my final thoughts. Classic comedy and classic musical theater is, I don't want to say underrated, but we have relied so much lately on such a specific type of humor that I think a lot of people don't always connect with. I happen to connect with it, but I don't think it's a type of humor that's for everyone. Mm-mm. Kind of this very post, post, post modern comedy that we're getting in twenty in the 21st century. But this show is objectively funny to everyone. This show is like the grassroots of comedy. And I think, and I hope that when we are able to reconvene in theaters again, that this type of musical comedy is going to have a resurgence. I think we're going to see a lot more comedies get produced a lot more um, a lot more escapist theater that's going to help people heal from the, the trauma that they're experiencing right now in the world. So if you were to go back into the show, you'd probably play like Senex or something, right? <laughs> I hate you. I want to play Pseudolus from now until the day that I die. And I maybe only want to, I maybe want to play Senex when I'm too old to play Pseudolus, but I will play Pseudolus. I will, I will run kicking and screaming until I'm able to do it again. I feel like I also want to play Melee's Gloriosis baseline until the day I die. I think it's the perfect <laughs> role. I'm so well cast. Oh boy. I feel Why like if I actually this? did this show, I would not be in this show. I'd be like an awkward courtesan. All right, Sam, let's wrap it up. Any final thoughts? No, like I just said, I I just, I hope that we see more comedies like this get produced post-COVID crisis. I think this type of comedy is the the kind that helps people heal. Just the complete ridiculous escapist comedy that has nothing to do with our personal lives and allows people a night away and a night um, of levity. How about you? What are your, what are your takeaways? Um, I think it just has like a, the show has a big personal meaning to me because of First of all, it was our last show that we knew of uh-huh. together. You know, we did a show that summer, but we didn't know we were going to work together. And, like, we both thought it was really special that even though I wasn't in it, that we got to do it together. I remember that. I agree. I bawled. I was so emotional <laughs> on the last show. Yes! <laughs> it was a big deal. I kind of liked, too, that I wasn't in it, that I got to sit back and, like, I wish I got to see you, but I got to sit back more and admire it. Um, so yeah, I guess I would just say, please cast Sam as Pseudolus again. Please. Can I have a waffle? Can I please have a waffle? That's from Vine, if you're old enough to remember Vine. What the hell? Oh, Vine. It's called TikTok, I thought. (laughs) I'm mad at you. Thank you. This podcast episode has been almost as long as the full length musical. (laughs) So we are happy to be leaving you this week. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. For another episode of Buzz Broadway. Peace out, girls and boys. Until then, comedy tomorrow. Nope. Tragedy tonight? (laughs) Goodbye. If you like what you heard on today's episode, be sure to leave us a rating and review. Want to support Buzz Broadway? Head to anchor.fm to learn more. If you need more Buzz Broadway shenanigans in your life, follow us on Instagram at at buzzbroadwaypodcast. Buzz Broadway is conceived and hosted by Amanda Harrington and Sam St. Jean. Editing by Amanda Harrington. Original music by Carl Pariso with musical arrangements by Patrick Doro. As always, thank you to our sponsors, to Anchor, and to you, our listeners. See you next time.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.